You are listening to Sonic Entanglements. Welcome to Sonic Entanglements, a podcast about sound history in Southeast Asia. My name is Mele Yamomo, and in this series, I will speak with historians, musicologists, media scholars, and sound archivists. I recorded this interview in October 2018 during my visit at the Phonogram Archive of the Austrian Academy of Sciences. The person I am interviewing is the chief sound engineer and head of the audio department of the Vienna Phonogram Archive. In the field of scientific sound archiving, she is considered one of the most important specialists in audio restoration, re-recording, and digital archiving. Could you please introduce yourself? So I'm Nadia Velaskowitz, mm-hmm. and I'm the head of the audio department of the Phonogrammarchiv of the Austrian Academy of Sciences. The Phonogrammarchiv is a research archive, and it's the oldest research archive worldwide. It was founded 1899, which is very early. And the idea is to collect multidisciplinary research results which were taken on audio media. So in general, you can do research with every archive. So in this sense, every archive is an archive for research, but it does not define it as a research archive because what we are collecting is the outcome of research. It's the result of audiovisual research, of research that is undertaken by audiovisual media. So when we were founded, the researcher has taken our historic device into the phonograph, into the field, and has recorded the voices of different people and their songs and their culture on wax discs. And this research has been described in many ways, in written ways, uh, publications, and so on. And the sources for these publications are stored in our archive. They are unique. So like in a library, in a library you go, you can pick out books and you can refer, if you write a dissertation, for example, you can refer to the book, page number, whatever. But if you write about music, which was recorded, about your field studies, then you have to be able to refer to this because otherwise, where is your source? And a research archive, as we understand our function, is collecting these sources and it's holding these sources, making them accessible and as a reference for these publications. So this is a very important difference to any other archives because we have many other archives. We have uh, radio archives, we have public archives, we have museums. And our role is more or less, as I told you, to record or to save these recordings and to make them accessible. In my function as chief engineer, I have to be aware that these documents should be safeguarded in their original form as long as possible. This means physically on one side, but also the contents. So the medium for audiovisual archivists, the medium is like the piece of paper. Yeah? The paper itself is important, but the information are the letters. Yeah? And I have to extract as the paper is eventually more durable and it has a big advantage to paper. I can read it with my eyes. Everybody can read it with the eyes. But to retrieve audiovisual source, you need a device. 
Yeah, you cannot look at the magnetic tape and know the contents just by looking at it. You need a playback machine. Well, with a disc you can do an optical print and then you can calculate the waveform. Okay, with a disc it's better. But with a magnetic medium, with a video cassette. Yeah, so what's on this cassette? So therefore you need a device. And our problem is not only that the media are degrading, not only the piece of paper that is degrading, it's the obsolescence of playback machines. Yeah, Because as you see, during the last decades, we have seen a change from analog to digital. Analog was developed more than 100 years in a very, very perfect way. It started with weak quality, but it, but it went better, 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 better. And now we are in the digital domain from one day more or less to the other. And the first digital formats, they are, meanwhile, gone from the market. Who remembers DAT recordings, DAT, DAT? Well, yes, they have been used, but are you recording on DAT today? No, not anymore. So this is a big problem. We still have many analog tape machines, but we still have many, many, many tapes to digitize if we want to make them accessible. Our problem in technology is, with this change of technology, is that in the earlier days I knew, okay, I can put this tape on the shelf and I will have a machine for playback available for the next decades because when I was in the 1950s, 1960s, this was actual technology. So I knew anytime I could take out the tape from the shelf, put it on the machine, press the play button and listen to the audio and listen to my reference, read my book. But now that this technology is more or less getting obsolete and the knowledge about the technology is also getting obsolete, we need to transfer the contents, so the letters of my paper, to the digital domain so that I as a user can sit on my computer and click and browse through the many, many holdings of audiovisual archives. This is one of the main problems. And the phonogrammer even myself, I'm working on that. This is a part of our job. Another part is that we support researchers when they are going to the field. Yeah, so the first part is digitization, certainly, because our holdings have to keep actual. And everything that is not digital in the next decades, I guess, will be lost. Yeah, Because what you read online or what you can grab online, this is the new knowledge. People are getting more and more lazy. They don't want to stand up and go into the library. The library is the neighbor house, yeah? but if I can get it online, I don't go to the neighbor house because I have to get up, take my key, take my bag, go there, order the book, wait two days, then go there again, then I have the book, and so on and so on. So it's more complicated. If I can sit at my computer and I can do research somewhere in a database and then I get the file or the PDF or whatever, then I'm happy. So digitization, I think, is at the moment limiting our knowledge very, very much. Because huge amounts of books, but also much more of audiovisual documents have never been digitized and you cannot click on them. And there are other reasons why you never will be able to click on them. Because, for example, you have rights. The rights of the owners to accept and also to hold. Yeah? So the performance rights, the researchers' rights, and so on and so on. So our archive cannot put everything on that. So one is the digital dilemma, I would call it. The second one is that we, since ever, support researchers in the field that they create the best possible recordings. You have to know, when we were founded, we developed our own device to record in the field because it was the best compromise between being portable and having good quality or sufficient quality 
and the ability to copy and to make a negative of it, a stable copy, so that the more often you copy the contents, your quality is always the same. And you have high quality for the next decades of your audio. This is a very important principle. In the analog time, this was very important. So at that time, the first technician constructed our own recording machine. And this machine was used in the field and the phonogrammarchiv supported the researcher. That means that the researcher came along and said, well, I would like to make recordings in Africa and I would like to have a look at these cultures and this and that languages, music, whatever. So the phonogrammarchiv equipped him or her, usually him at that time, with the recorder with up to 100 kilo of wax discs, yeah, quite an amount, with all the technology and the researcher was trained how to use the equipment and then he went to the field and after a year or six months he returned and brought back the recordings. This principle we have kept upright until today. Also in the days of analog magnetic tape, People were poor. Tape material was expensive. The machines were expensive. So what we provided was, since ever, analog magnetic tape machines, portable, like UHA Report or so, which were perfectly aligned and which also were tested in the field so that they would work very well. And we also provided the media and we gave methodological support, means that uh, how to place the microphone, how to perform with the batteries, very, very practical things. How do you get your best results? Where to place the microphone, how to hide a microphone and, and things like that. Huh? And then the researcher went to the field and bringing back the magnetic tapes, which were then be copied and archived together with the researcher. This is the important thing. Our archiving is always in accordance with the researcher. You have had a look into our database. We have a very detailed documentation about what is happening, what is going on. And everything you find in the database is verified by the researcher. So nobody is doing an unqualified comment. For example, this is not this language, this is the other language yeah? or things like that. So in accordance, or if we really find out it could be the other language, then we make a comment and say, we suppose that blah, 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 blah. Yeah? But everything you can find in our database is more or less the document the researcher gives to the archive yeah, together with his original tapes. And these original tapes, or now digital files, they are unique. Means if we don't copy them, they can be lost. So our most important thing is if the material returns from the field, immediately copy, put it on the server, for example, now in digital, structure it, give it a repository where it's safe, and then together with the researcher, make the perfect annotation so that it can be searchable in our database and so that you can find it also in our database. Uh, not only search, <laughs> but also find it and find the item and retrieve the information. Yeah? Okay. A very important thing is that we are no public archive. So we do not have daily access and opening hours like a library. We are only a research archive. Means I, as an interested person from outside, cannot come along and say, okay, I have a nice video from Papua New Guinea. I want to have some good music for that. Could you provide me? This is not possible in our archive. You need a research reason. You are a researcher from an institute and you say, okay, I'm interested in the music of whatever and I want to make comparative studies between the Roma dances of this region with the Roma music of the other region then you can come along 
and we will serve you best possible. And also, if you want to do field recording, we have a close cooperation with all the institutes here in Vienna, with anthropology, ethnomusicology, and so on, with these institutes. So we ask, a linguistic, we ask them, please, if you do field research, come along, you get tested equipment, yeah, and you have the chance to use our repository, but we want your documentation And after a certain time span, we also want the rights, yeah, which means that it should be accessible. Mm? And if the owner is dead, then the rights will be handed over to the Phonogrammarchiv. Mm -hmm. yeah? So this is the deal. So we host this material. Yeah, so my job is to do everything with all these technical things. That means that I'm responsible for collection management, like for the conservation parameters in our storage vault. I'm responsible for strategy of conservation, of preservation, of restoration. And certainly within this package, there is the digitization aspect. There is the re-recording aspect because historical formats, you need the knowledge, you need the devices. We are sitting here now in the middle of our re-recording studio. Yeah, this is not only a re-recording studio, it was designed as a recording studio. And it's the most quiet room of the archive. It's in the middle of the building, so you do not hear the traffic. You don't have the vibrations of the traffic, which is important if you transfer mechanical discs, for example. If you have the vibration of the traffic in your tone arm, then you will hear it in the sound file when you transfer. But we can also do recordings here. We already did recordings because the acoustics is very dry. It's very well damped. So that you don't have reflections and you, you can study instruments if you record them solo here yeah this is a very good thing and so and here we have for example playback machines for many different formats for example this is a cylinder playback machine where you can replay cylinders in a high quality here we have a turntable which has a very wide adjustable speed so we can playback speeds from 15 revolutions until 115 revolutions or so. Very, so nearly everything what is on this could be replayed on this turntable. We have a selection of different styli. We have a dedicated pre-amplifier where we can choose the correct playback curves. And we have a disc washing machine where the disc is prepared and cleaned. And then side per side, one side is cleaned, then the side is transferred. The back side is cleaned and then it's transferred so that we have the highest quality on the signal retrieval from the original carrier. Because as I told you, the original, either the carrier will be lost or the format itself will be lost like analog magnetic tape, I think in 20 years or 30 years, might be gone. And the knowledge about how to transfer and the different speeds and the heads and all this will be lost sooner or later. Or it is already lost with early digital format. So we try to reformat this from the original carrier to a more stable format. We all, the audio archives, we hope that the wave file format is a stable one. Yeah, we hope it. We, we think, we guess, we hope. To be honest, the WAV file format, since its invention, has already had about 150 different modifications. So the format is by far not the same anymore. It has changed. But fortunately, all platforms have adapted so it's compatible. This is the important thing. So this is much easier than in video. Video has a big format problem. In audio, we are happy and say, okay, as long as we 
transfer from analog to digital and then we have our wave file format, we can say, okay, now we are safe. But how safe are we in the digital world? This is the next question. Uh, because reading a hard disk or a digital tape is something different than reading a mechanical disk. Yeah? How simple is it to read a mechanical disk, to be honest? You need something that turns around and you need a stylus. With a, with a cartridge, it's, it's, the basic principle is very easy. Also magnetic tape, you have a magnetic head and you have a transport and a preamplifier and that's it. But if you look at various video formats, or encoded formats where you have codecs where you don't know how they work. Yeah? Or if you look at lossy formats, which we always avoid that they are created in the field. So I don't allow MP3s to be done, to be produced in the field. It happens certainly, but and we get different things also, mobile phone re recordings and whatever, whatever we get. Sometimes we prefer our highest quality This is a reason why we lean the equipment to the field, because we want the researchers to produce high-quality files and they don't have to buy their own equipment. They can borrow it from the Phonogram Archive even for years. Yeah, we have a UHA report in Mexico still since 40 years or so, <laughs> because the researcher is still doing some research or even listening to the tapes. Yeah? And from time to time, we get five moldy tapes from Mexico to transfer. Yeah? So... This principle is very good and it guarantees that we have the quality we want to have. Yeah, We have a standard setup for the microphones. This is ORTF, it's called. This is a standardized microphone setup which is close to the ears position and to the ears functionality. And in theory, you could mathematically recalculate the room and the reflections and such things out of this setup. So this is the reason why we use it and we say, okay, It's the best compromise. Everything around changes. If the research is in the field, everything changes. The acoustics, the source, the location, everything. But there are parameters that stay stable. And this is our microphone setup and our equipment, which is measured. And we have the measuring curves from the microphones, for example. So if there is something problematic in the frequency response, I say, okay, is this the source or was this the microphone? And I can look at the curve and say, okay, when I provided the microphone, the curve was like that. Very good. And after return of the microphone, I measure it again. And then I see, okay, there was a difference and this high frequency response is worse because the microphone had some trouble in the field. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So I can say it's a technical problem or I can say, no, the problem is the source itself. The source was like that. So we document all these parameters that we can say the equipment you can more or less neglect because you know the parameters and there you can really do research and you can compare. A big part of our collection is done with exactly this setup and therefore can be compared one to one because the microphone is always the same. Yeah, the setup, your ears which capture the sound are more or less always the same. More or less. <laughs> as, as good as possible. What kind of specific research needs do you address? And what kind of technologies do you provide? What kind of support do you also advise in the specific types of recording technology? Yeah, so this is the technical part of what we are doing. It's not only one part. As a, one is the digitization. One is the equipment loan mm -hmm. and also servicing. 
because I have to align the machines, I have to check them. We are steadily watching the market for new products. And we found out, for example, that recorders for field, they are mushrooming on the market. Yeah, you have hundreds of different, mm -hmm. but most of them are too overdeveloped. Means I only need two channels in good quality and I need the most important functions outside of the device, not within the fifth menu where I have to choose the input level of the microphone in the fifth sub-menu of somewhere. Yeah? It must be outside on the device. Simple. This is not easy to find. The device must be very robust. It must have a long battery running time. It must have external storage cards which you can exchange of a standard format. Ideally, at the moment, SD card, so you can buy them everywhere. And it must be very stable, robust, rug design, not very... If it looks too nice, everybody wants to steal it. So it should look very decent and not too beautiful uh, and not very new. But after one or two field researches, our equipment does not look <laughs> new anymore. Okay, and it must be portable lightweight so it's not easy to find that so we are steadily watching the market and checking out yeah and one important thing a parameter for field recording equipment is whenever you run out of battery the file must be closed because if the file is not stored it's not closed and finished then you lose the whole recording it can be that you lose two hours of recording because you're running out of battery and then your recording is gone so this is a very important functionality and only a few devices have this functionality. So we are checking very accurately. Then they go to the field for testing. And when we return and we collect the comments from the field researcher telling us, well, it's good, but this is the disadvantage and this is not very stable and so and so on. We discuss that and we try to find better actual devices which best serve the researcher's needs. Wow. <laughs> That is a very extensive and very specific kind of support that you provide for researchers. This requires the overlapping knowledge of the latest audio technology on the one hand, and a deep understanding of the rigors and discipline of scientific research on the other hand. Yeah. It is impressive how you are constantly keeping up with the technological challenges that you mentioned and how your team find ways to address the latest scholarly questions and needs. Having said all these, what do you think is the relevance of sound archive and audio archiving today? The answer to this question might be very obvious for you who works in a sound archive. However, most research focuses on reading and writing. Yeah. So what is the role of the phonogram archive in... In, in, the, in the whole research field. Exactly. Yeah. Especially today. Well, yes, there are not too many research undertakings going on with audiovisual documentation. But sometimes it's really extremely important to have audiovisual documentation because many things you can collect just by writing. But how does the language sound? How does the instrument sound? How is the music? How is the structure? How is the social impression? How does the person look like when making something or when doing something? Always then you need audiovisual research. You need either documentation by means of sound recording or by means of video recording or sometimes both. We support both. We support video also. Same strategy in video. And the combination, I think, is ideal. A picture says a lot, but if you see how something is produced, for example, or how something is played, an instrument, and how the sound is modified, then you can much better describe it than you can do it with written documentation. 
So it's the performance, it's the moment of the performance that you can catch. And it's the intangible heritage, yeah, what we are talking about. Mm -hmm. What you can document by means of audiovisual documentation. Much better than you can do with any other thing. So I think our role is very important, but it's underestimated. Exactly. And also, if you look, there are portals like Europeana. Do you know this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's more or less a European libraries and research portal where you can find many, many, many documents, pictures and, what, uh, and information of all kinds. But all your visual documents are still underrepresented also there. And as I told you, it's not so easy. With a book, you know the authors and the five things, things that you can do. Okay, you can ask for the rights to put it online. But for many things, we are having the unique allowance to use this just for this purpose. Our research have documented, for example, rituals, languages, proceedings, ongoings, whatever, which were part of a very unique social structure. We cannot publish this without the allowance because it was done for this research purpose only and not to be published. And everybody can click on it and put it on Facebook and like it on Twitter or on whatever. Yeah, this is not, we are responsible. As the archive, we are responsible for authenticity of the document which is easy to manipulate in digital age. It's no problem to retouch something somewhere or to remove some words out of a sentence. I can do it. Nobody will hear. Nobody will see it in the spectrum. Nobody can hear it. I will make it perfectly if you ask me to do so. And it's gone. Yeah. And reality is falsified. Yeah. Just by choosing what we put online, we are already manipulating the user. Because what you find, for example, if you give some exhibitions, some internet exhibitions of a certain topic, the things we choose give the impression. Yeah, It's a medium. It's a new medium. All the digital media are the influencers of our generation. So you always have to be aware that this is only one example and this is the top of the mountain. Yeah, And we have another million of documents about that. But mm -hmm. we can only present this, we picked it out. And I think it's, it's very important to understand that the authenticity is the real job of an archive. Because in a library, the books are always authentic. As long as nobody removes a page or blacks out something yeah, in a book, could also be. But as long as the book is standing there, it's authentic. But our sources, the magnetic tapes, if they cannot be read out anymore, if they are only digital files, we are responsible for the authenticity of that material. In three generations, you cannot go to the shelf and pick out a tape anymore because, oh yes, you can pick it out if it's still existing physically. You can pick it out, but unfortunately, I cannot read it anymore, the information, so... I cannot retrieve the information anymore. I don't have the machine. I don't know how to play it. So it's there, but it's useless. So the extraction of the contents of that must be authentic. It must be one-to-one -one or even better. <laughs> it must fully represent everything. This is a very large and very big responsibility. I want to steer our conversation in the geographic focus of this podcast. Have you worked on projects dealing with sound recordings in Southeast Asia? Can you tell us about your experience working with sounds from the region? Certainly. I had many in Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. I was invited to cooperate with Deutsche Welle. And Deutsche Welle had a series of trainings for radio stations in Southeast Asian regions. 
And so I was invited to give a training on audio restoration and digitization. And the first station where I ended up was in Vietnam, where I did a lot of cooperation with Radio Voice of Vietnam, VOV. And we developed more or less a center of excellence and of knowledge there by training the people everywhere, all the time. And my experience was fantastic. The people were so friendly and they are still my best friends until now. The media were horrible and it was real challenges to make them playable again. But I learned very much, they learned very much, and also personally, between our cultures, it was a perfect exchange. And then this training went on to other regions and to other archives. I was in Radio Nepal, Nepal also, in Sri Lanka also, gave trainings there and we handed over the knowledge. And every time when I worked there, one or two or three people from our base station in Vietnam attended the training and were my assistants and we all could learn from the situation. So they helped me. I usually divided the staff in some groups so the archive-related people, which were dealing with the physical restoration of the media, and then the sound engineers, which were dealing with the alignment of the machines and the transfer of the media. And then the catalogers, these people also have to know what's going on and how is the material prepared to be published then. And so I worked always in groups, in parallel groups, and people from our knowledge base in Vietnam, they were my group leaders, more or less, and I was supervised and I told them how to act. And this was very fruitful. And all these corporations were fantastic. The last one was in uh, Pakistan. I had also uh, in Pakistan, I had yeah Nepal. Yes, and I always have steady contact and requests, but also not only this region, but also Latin America and, and yeah. Thank you, Nadja, for your fascinating stories of your work in the field, so to speak. This concludes our episode for today. In the next episode, I continue my conversation with Dr. Nadja Valaskovic about how the development of audio recording and technology shifted the questions we ask about sound and how they shaped our listening aesthetics. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sonic Entanglements podcast. I am your host and producer, Mille Yamomo. Thijs van der Geest is our sound engineer and sound editor. And Jean Bersena is our publicity manager. Our theme music is created by Marcus Hogerfost. This podcast is funded by the Dutch Research Organization. If you would like to listen to other episodes of this program, subscribe to Sonic Entanglements at Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Pocket Casts. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more, you can head over to sonic-entanglements.com.